All righty, you guys ready to jump in? Um, my goal is not to go long so we can eat, but um, we'll see what the Lord wants to do. Uh, all right, well, as you guys know, today is Pentecost Sunday, a.k.a. the birthday of the church. So I look to your neighbor and say, happy birthday. All right, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, let's jump into it, Revelation 22, verse 17. It says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Say the spirit and the bride. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And so we see here in the book of Revelation a picture of the end time church. <laughs> we, we see a picture of the end time church, which uh, I, I believe... We're in that time. Um, even Paul was, was, would say in his epistles, we are in the end times. Uh, but there's something in this verse that I think is so important because what we see here is about the church that is going to beckon the return of Jesus. What is significant about the church is that church is in unity with the spirit. And so this prophesies of the day when the church and the spirit are in full unity. That who knows church without the Holy Spirit is just a social club. Amen. Worship without the Holy Spirit is just karaoke. The Bible without the Holy Spirit is just a closed book. That the Spirit is the life and the power of the church. And I love it here because specifically we see the Spirit and the bride, which is the church, are in unity by saying come, inviting people to drink, say drink, from the water of life. So the spirit and the church are in unity to invite people to experience, to drink, to experience Jesus, the real thing. Not come and get some knowledge and some theology, which is very important, about a person who died 2,000 years ago, but to come and presently drink from the water of life. Amen. And so I shared this last week that the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the Christian era to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer says that. That in other words, the Spirit is sent to make Jesus real to us and to show us who he really is so that we can come to love him and trust him and obey him and show him to the world. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not real to us. Uh, Melissa, Health, Melissa Helser, she's a worship leader, and she said this. She says that the Holy Spirit is the crescendo of the cross. That we see the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, all leading to this moment of today, which is Pentecost Sunday, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so to give you guys just some historical context of Pentecost, uh, Pentecost uh, is a Jewish feast called Shavuot. Can you say Shavuot? And uh, Shavuot occurred 50 days after Passover. So if you know Passover, Passover is one of uh, the Israelites or, or, or Jewish people's biggest feasts. And this was a celebration of the Lord's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And you guys know the story in Exodus, right, where uh, the Lord uh, tells his people to smear the blood of a lamb over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them. And so this day is also the same day that Easter occurs, 
So when Jesus died, it was during Easter, which was the same moment that Passover was being celebrated. And we celebrate now Jesus as the final Passover lamb whose blood covers us so that death and defeat and shame and guilt and separation from God would pass over us. And so Pentecost happens 50 days after Jesus's resurrection on the feast of Shavuot. And this feast was a feast of celebrating uh, their first fruits, the harvest of their first fruits. And so uh, Jewish people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would bring uh, their offering to the temple. And this is when the Pentecost that we know occurs. And so I heard a Messianic rabbi, he said this, that Passover and Easter signifies redemption and Pentecost signifies revelation. That from what we know in that 50-day period, no one was saved. From what we know. From the, the day Jesus went up to heaven until Pentecost, no one was recorded to be saved. But on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were saved. It's interesting. 2 Corinthians 3.16, verse 18 says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can we get an amen for that? So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the, the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You could sit on this passage for probably a year and still unpack things. But this is interesting. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So give you guys some context. You know the story of Moses. When he descends from the mountain, he has experience with God. His face is literally glowing and the people of Israel are freaking out. So he covers his face with a veil. He almost hides the glory. We see this in the temple, the building of the temple and the tabernacle, that the Holy of Holies was where where God's tangible manifest presence would dwell, but there is a veil of separation because only a high priest, one person from one family, from one tribe, can enter into the manifest presence of God only one time a year. So when Jesus died, this is recorded, uh, this is actually recorded historically by someone who wasn't a Christian, but on the day that Jesus died, it says that the veil in the temple was torn open. That when Jesus died, the, the veil of separation between man and God was ripped wide open. And we see here in 2 Corinthians the significance of that veil being removed because it's not until that veil is removed, one that you can see him, like, like actually see him rightly, to know who he is, to personally have an exchange with him and it's only from that place that you can actually reflect him. Yeah. So what's the point? You can be a temple yet still have a veil. Say it to this side of the room. You can still be a temple of the Holy Spirit, but the veil can still be up. 
the moment of redemption, you have been given access. The moment of Pentecost, you've been given revelation of that access. And it's not until you have revelation of the access you have will you actually finally go behind the veil. The word revelation actually literally translates to look behind the veil. To understand and discover what was once hidden and now for it to be revealed to you. This is what the Holy Spirit does is he reveals, he gives us revelation of who Jesus is. He takes us behind the veil and he gives us the ability to look at him and reflect him. Henry Newman, he says this, without Pentecost, the Christ event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus remains imprisoned in history as something to remember, think about, and reflect on. But the spirit of Jesus comes to dwell within us so that we can become like Christ here and now. And so the Holy Spirit unveils Jesus to us so that we can be transformed by beholding him. Right, we're going back to 2 Corinthians verse uh, 18, chapter 3. It says this, And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him. Pause. Who wants to be more and more like him? Okay. He makes us, so you don't make yourself more like him. The Spirit makes you more and more like him, which is a continual process, by the way, as we are changed into his glorious image. And so today, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us a personal Pentecost. That every single one of us needs a personal Pentecost. The N.T. Wright, he says this, put it this way, if your idea of God, or going back to the concept of the veil, if your idea of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote or distant, then your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-informed. I'm gonna read that again. If your idea of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-informed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty and the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't a head trip, the other isn't just emotion. We need revelation. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Verse one. But I think there's something significant about this. That the Holy Spirit allows us to behold Jesus. Because that is the only place that we will truly be transformed. So Acts 2, 1 to 4, this is the moment of Pentecost. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed 
to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So first thing is that Pentecost was the birth of the church. It was the moment that unified God's people that filled them with his presence and empowered them with his power. That if the church started with the spirit, then how much more today does the church need to continue by the spirit? Going back to the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. What would our churches look like today? if we lived in a personal Pentecost? What would our cities look like today if the church lived in a personal Pentecost? Where his people are unified, filled with his presence, and empowered by the power of his spirit. And so today I want to talk quickly about the importance of the Spirit's activity in the church today. Uh, The word spirit in Hebrew is ruach or ruah, uh, which means both breath or wind. Can you say ruach? Put a little in there. All right, (laughs) don't do that. Um, Which means both breath or wind. So the first thing is the Spirit is the life of the church. Spirit is the life of the church. Genesis 1, 1 to 2 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see here that the spirit moved upon the face of the waters in the beginning before any life was there. He was in the process of turning what was formless and empty into living and breathing. That without the Holy Spirit, our gatherings are formless and empty. In John 20, 21 and 22, he says this, and again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he, this is Jesus, he breathed on them, on his disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Who knows that the first and last thing you'll ever do is breathe. First thing you do when a baby is born is he takes his first breath. The last thing you do when you leave this world, is you take your last breath. That your breath is connected to life. That after Jesus resurrected, he breathed on his disciples, inviting them to receive the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, the church has no life. No substance. Our worship is empty. Our preaching is void. And who knows that the church should be the most alive place in the world. It doesn't mean you can't come broken. It does not mean you cannot come with your baggage. But as Jesus says, my will, my kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the church should be the one place in your city that looks the most alive and like heaven. And this is what we are building towards. That in Genesis 2-7, we also see this imagery that when the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living breathing. That breathing is the process of moving air out and in the lungs. That the Holy Spirit is meant to be received and then released. That the church inhales life 
and the church exhales power. So the second thing is that the spirit is the power of the church. Second Timothy says this, that you have not been given a spirit of fear. You have not been given a spirit that enables you and empowers you to live in fear. You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Oh, that is so good. If you need any of those three, tap into the Holy Spirit. He's so I'll give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. So in Acts 2, 1 and 2, it says this, as we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. That breath symbolizes life, but wind symbolizes power. That the Holy Spirit empowers you to live, but to also walk like Jesus. Then Acts 2, 38, verse 41, we see this moment in Peter's life. And I want to take you on a journey of just walking through Peter's life. As we know, Peter started as a fisherman, right, which was not a glamorous job. He smelled like fish all the time. It wasn't something that was, was, was recognized in, in high esteem, and his brother Andrew comes who meets the Messiah and he invites his brother Peter to come and, and Peter witnesses Jesus and Jesus says, come, follow me, drop your nets and I'll make you fishers of men. In that moment, we see Peter drops his reputation, the good and the bad of it. He drops his reputation. He drops all that he knows. He drops his livelihood. He drops his, his identity from the last season. He comes and he follows this person named Jesus. And as you see the journey of Peter, it's really unique. I think it's unique because I think a lot of us relate to Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Michael does, especially. We, we relate to his passion, his zeal, his mouth, Right? And we see such this unique dynamic between him and Jesus where, where he is just so zealous for Jesus. You know, he's like, Jesus, I'll, I'll never, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll, I'll never disobey you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, um, three times actually. We see the moment of Peter being invited to walk on water and he has this moment of faith, but then he focuses on the storm and he falls. And we see the, this back and forth of, of almost like this striving. Like Peter is, is striving to do, even if his intentions are good, but there's this, 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 this striving to, to walk and look like Jesus in his own strength. And we see the moment of his denial. It's this heartbreaking moment. Jesus is on the stage. He's, he's, he's being... Uh, he's held captive and, and Peter is in the crowd and this little girl says, hey, aren't you one of his followers? He denies Jesus. We see the moment even on the cross that all the disciples scattered, all of them ran away besides Peter and his female followers, or sorry, John and his female followers, but Peter, he disperses, he hides. And you have to think about the shame that Peter was carrying three years walking with this man, denying him right in front of him, across the way, failing time after time. 
But then there's this beautiful moment of redemption. Remember, Easter redemption. There's this beautiful moment of redemption in Peter's life where they're fishing. Jesus has already raised from the dead. He didn't know yet. He's on the shore, you know, cooking some fish as Jesus does. And Peter recognizes him and he jumps out of the water. He doesn't care about getting wet. And he swims to the shore. That he pushes past his shame and he goes after Jesus. And you see the conversation of Jesus restoring Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Why do you keep asking me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. He says, upon this rock, I will build my what? My church. This person who failed, who had no good reputation, this person who seemed like did the worst thing he could do, but yet in the midst of it, he still moved past the shame and ran and pursued Jesus. And he allowed Jesus to restore him. He allowed Jesus to redeem him. He allowed Jesus to speak who he really is. Redemption. And then we arrive in Acts 4. Peter, this nobody who was uneducated, was filled with the Holy Spirit. You read Acts chapter 4, after Pentecost happened, he's preaching and and he's declaring what the Lord did. He's he's referencing Joel 2 when the Spirit was going to be poured out upon all flesh. That old man will dream dreams, that sons and daughters will prophesy, that, that the, the young will see visions. And Peter is preaching, this person who was once afraid to say that he's with Jesus, is boldly preaching. In Acts chapter 4, or sorry, Acts chapter 2, 38 says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, jump to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. That Peter was a person of fear in the moment of walking in water and his denial of Jesus and his hiding during the crucifixion. But Peter experienced the power of the Spirit that transformed him into a person of boldness that preached the gospel and over 3,000 people were saved. We need a personal Pentecost. Acts chapter 4, 29 and 31, it says this, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. So this is a, a second moment of the spirit being poured out after the moment of Pentecost. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. That for too long we have believed the lie that the church is powerless. the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in his church 
to see the lost saved, the sick healed, and captives set free. And we see here in Acts 4 that the outpouring of the Spirit isn't just a one-moment thing. It wasn't just in Acts 2, but in Acts 4, and you see continually moments of the Holy Spirit being poured out, filling his people. And I want to encourage you today that the same Spirit that was poured out in Pentecost wants to pour himself out on you. That the word filled means spilling out. That a cup is not full unless it's spilling. doesn't matter how, how full you think your cup is. But if that cup is not spilling, it's not overflowing. It's not actually full. And the Holy Spirit, he wants you to live a life with Jesus that isn't just half empty. I get a little bit, oh, but I'm empty again. I get a little bit, I'm empty again. I get a little bit, uh, life was, that was a really hard conversation, uh, I'm empty again. But what would it look like for the Spirit to fill you in a way that that fear, that reputation, that thing that you thought disqualified you would transform you into a person that is going to see save lost. It's going to see the sick healed. It's going to see the most hardened of hearts restored and walking in the life of Jesus. So this is where I want to end. And I'll have our keys come up. This is where I want us to end is that every single one of us needs to have a personal Pentecost. Man, even if you got filled with the Spirit 40 years ago and that started your journey, wants to fill you again today. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, but the veil has still been up, you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to lead you to know Him fully, that He wants to fill you up that the Holy Spirit is always poured out for a purpose. That we see this in the book of Acts. That whenever someone was filled with the Spirit, it's always unto something. That thing is the furthering of his kingdom. That when the Spirit is poured out, we see Peter, a man of fear, emboldened with boldness. We see thousands of people saved and baptized. So even my, my own journey, some of you guys don't know, but for most of my life, you know, I lived in timidity, right? I, I grew up overseas and moved back and forth from America, from the Philippines, and I never, never fit a mold. And so what happens is it developed this inferiority complex where I always felt inferior to other people because I never fit in a specific spot. So it happened for most of my life, yes, I, had, you know, I wasn't living in this state of brokenness constantly, but what happened was a mindset of I am in fear to other people. What caused that, what fruit caused from that was, was a fear of fully walking what Jesus has and for proclaiming who he is. But then the moment that I fully realized the truth of who God is, the invitation to be filled with the Spirit, what happened was when I started to seek the Lord, He filled me with His Spirit, 
right? The Holy Spirit was already dwelling in me when you received Jesus. Do you hear this? You already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but he wants to not just be in you, he wants to fill you so you're spilling out. So what happened was in that moment, this fearful, timid person encountered the Holy Spirit, started seeking the Lord in my bedroom. What happened was boldness sprung up in my heart as I've encountered this person. I said, I can't keep this to myself anymore. This fear and timidity start to melt off because I met a person in a real way. This isn't just like an equation, you count a spirit, boom, you're gonna do this. The, 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 the equation is you coming to know the fullness of who Jesus actually is. The veil has to be torn to shreds. That as you behold him, then you'll become like him. That's it, that's, that's the equation. And from that led, this boldness that I didn't know I had. I started messaging people in high school to grab coffee, would tell them about Jesus, start reaching out to my Muslim friends, tell them about Jesus, and started this prayer meeting that was Breakthrough Community Group. Breakthrough Community Group started as a little prayer meeting that eventually turned into a house church that turned into what this is today. For seven years ago. So what's the point? We need a personal Pentecost. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're going to take communion. If you don't have communion, could some of our ushers hand some over, keep your hands up, we'll get you some communion. signifies redemption Pentecost signifies revelation the revelation of the redemption that we have that 1 Corinthians 11 23 to 26 says this for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now here we believe that communion has a purpose and it has power. That when we partake of communion, it brings us into a place of remembrance. That oftentimes we fall into sin because we simply forget. We forget who he is. We forget who he says that we are. So communion brings us back into a place of remembrance. The last thing is that communion is not an obligation. It's a celebration. So I want to lead us. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation of the redemption that you have. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill your people Let us see the price that you paid on the cross that tore the veil in half so that we can now boldly enter in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, we look at your body that was broken for us. That he who knew no 
sin became our sin on the cross so that we would become the righteousness of God, that he took your sin and your shame and your guilt and your punishment on the cross. And as his body was broken, your sin was absorbed. He received your sin on the cross. So if you are struggling with thoughts of shame that are overtaking you, with mindsets of fear, look at the cross and picture Jesus taking it. Picture Jesus receiving it. Holy Spirit, would you reveal the power of what you did on the cross? Let it grip our hearts of what you did on the cross. That your word says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so, Lord, we look at the broken body of Jesus that by your stripes we have received sozo healing, body, soul, and spirit. So if you have any sickness, if your mind is sick, if you don't know Jesus, look at his broken body on the cross. We receive your sickness on your behalf. So let's partake in Jesus' name. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That your blood speaks the final word over who we are. Not the abuse, not the neglect, not the wounds. We say your blood says it is finished. It says we are made right with you. It says we have been made pure in your sight. And so Jesus, we thank you for your blood of the new covenant your blood that has bridged the gap of separation, your blood that was smeared over the doorposts of our hearts, that death has passed over us. Separation from God has passed over us. Let your blood awaken us to the truth of what you've done. So we partake of the blood.